Welcome to Money Talks, a series where we talk to financial advisors and business managers that represent professional athletes. Money Talks gives us behind-the-scenes expertise on how athletes can be frugal from the expert's perspective. I'm your host, Amobio Kugo, and this is a channel under a Frugal Athlete Podcast Network. Today, we have a very special guest, Justin Bass. Justin Bass is the Managing Director for True Capital Management, represent a number of high net worth individuals, a number of athletes, helping them manage their money. Um, This is a great interview. Had the luxury of speaking with Justin. It was almost like I was in class. You know, he gave a lot of gems. He's a former teacher. um, So he has that, that, that he has a certain way in terms of how he gets his point across, what really gets you in and really gravitates you to what he's teaching. So I highly suggest you listen to this. Highly suggest you have a pen, get your notes tab out on your phone, because um, it's a very well-articulated article. Uh, sorry, <laughs> podcast. Uh, the reason why I said article is because there's so, that many gems from the from the podcast that I, I'm going to be taking clips and making them into art, articles. Uh, it was it was that it was that informative. So with that being said, I'm done talking. Tune in and let me know what you think. So real quick before I let you listen to the episode, uh, make sure you leave a review, subscribe rate five stars do what you got to do we really appreciate it and also because i don't want to get sued by any of you um this is just a warning that this is a interview with the financial manager financial advisor um there's a lot of financial education talk this is all talk to educate we're not telling you what to invest in we're not telling you how to invest we're just educating you so you can make a more informed decision. So before you take what was said in the interview, make sure you check with your own financial advisor if you have one or seek guidance, counsel, whatever legal representation you need to before you make a decision. Um, once again, this is a financial education platform. We give you the information to educate you to make better decisions. All right. Tune in now. Hey, Justin, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate having you. Um, let's just get right to it. Um, how you doing? I'm doing well, Amobi. Thanks for having me here. Been a big fan of what you've been putting out there. No, I appreciate it. Obviously, we've known each other for quite a while, but uh, let's let the audience know. Give us a little backstory. Well, I was a baseball player in college and always had a passion for sport. And when I realized that that probably wasn't going to lead to a professional career, I decided that I wanted to find some way to stay in sports, um, you know, for a career. And while I wasn't exactly sure what path I was going to take at the time, I decided to go to law school and figured that that would be a good education to have, regardless of the direction I decided to go in any business. Um, And when I was in law school, I had a job search that was very atypical um, for most law students. Instead of trying to get jobs at law firms, I was reaching out to teams and agents and different companies that were involved in sports in different capacities to see where there might be an opportunity. 
And at the time, it was a little bit different than today. There was no social media, very limited internet, and it was much harder to find and connect <laughs> with people out there. Um, but fortunately, I, I had uh, the good fortune of connecting a company at the time called CSI Capital Management that was involved on the financial management investment advisory side for professional athletes. And when I graduated from law school and passed the bar, I ended up going to work with them uh, where I was uh, able to help build the company up to have about a billion and a half dollars of assets under management, at which time we sold the company. And for the last five years, I've been here at True Capital Management, which is an independent RIA based out of San Francisco. That's where I still am today. Oh, that's amazing. And quick tidbit, you're a UCLA gentleman as well, right? Yes, I am. Respect. There you go. Fellow UCLA guy. Got to get the synergy there. So you mentioned you work in financial management. You know, as a lawyer, how is that transition? Well, it's interesting. I, I don't hold myself out as practicing law per se, but I do feel like having the legal background has definitely enhanced my ability to help my clients and work with them. Um, aside from just being trained to have an analytical eye generally, I also find that working in this capacity for athletes where you're helping not only manage their, their money and investment portfolios, but really all of their day-to-day business and financial affairs, there are a myriad of legal issues that come up and it really helps with issues. Of course, it also helps that I know where to go to get them outside third-party counsel when necessary as well. So I think it's been a really helpful value add for my clients. That's amazing. And so what exactly is a financial advisor? Because many times you see, you know, these athletes, they have a financial advisor, accountant, wealth manager, business manager. Um, some of them tie all of them into one. Some of them have them separate. So what exactly is a financial advisor? Well, that's a great question. And in fact, it, it's kind of funny because, as you said, there's so many different titles that get tossed around that I don't know that there is a, a clearly defined title for any one of those roles. I think you hear people, like you said, hold themselves out as either a financial advisor or financial manager, business manager, etc. And I, I think from my perspective, I tend to think of my job really as being something of a financial quarterback, if you will, whose role is to help my clients I make, like in, yeah, um, you know, it's to help clients make informed decisions about anything that impacts their financial affairs. So while our firm does provide financial and investment advice to high net worth individuals, uh, we focus on providing a very broad suite of services um, on an open architecture platform that empowers clients to protect and grow their legacy. So not only are we striving to provide them with tools for long-term financial success, but we think it's equally important to continuously teach and educate our clients along the way. Um, as funny as it may sound from a financial advisor, um, I do tell clients that my job as a financial advisor isn't to make them rich, but rather to focus on capital preservation and help keep them rich. And if they attain the level of success on the field or on the court or wherever it is that they excel, that's going to be what makes them rich. So, you know, this isn't accomplished by simply telling them the types of investments to make, but rather it's accomplished by providing the clients with sufficient information to make informed decisions about all financial related matters. Um, and then we can tailor our approach to each client's goals, risk profile, um, and, and, you know, 
expectations. Um, so the role really is much more than just constructing a client's portfolio, but really helping the client understand how to maintain reasonable expenses, living within their means, and to accomplish that, we work closely to determine a reasonable budget so they can live a comfortable but sustainable lifestyle. Um, then, you know, by, no, that by, makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think you know, by creating a reasonable budget, implementing good savings habits, and establishing goals with the client, we're then able to focus on other things like how best to help family members and friends, how to make a difference in their communities, be it through foundations or other types of charitable giving, and ultimately how to create and maintain generational wealth. So while we work closely with clients to evaluate you know, risk management needs and things of that nature, we really provide a comprehensive host of investment advisory services all the while remembering that as a financial advisor, we have a fiduciary responsibility to provide the clients with the highest standard of care, which sometimes means telling them, you know, things that they don't want to hear, that they shouldn't spend money on things or shouldn't invest in things. Yeah, so you obviously have experience in baseball, used to play, you've seen the latest contracts come out. How, how has your role changed over the years as these contracts, you know, like how are you going to tell someone to budget when they're signing like $50 million deals, um, the new wave of athletes that, you know, they want a bigger piece of the pie. Um, they're being exposed to more deal flow, uh, you know, venture capitals, like a big play amongst athletes. Now there's different ways, franchising, there's all these different avenues now and more money in the game. So how has your role changed over the years? Obviously you have like over 20, 25 years experience field. Well, aside from making me feel very old, thank you very much. <laughs> no, you started young. You started young. Um, no, I think that, that's a great question, and you touched on several different points. So let me kind of dial it back a minute and then delve into a couple. But, you know, while my job has evolved over time, I think that the fundamental role and the core responsibilities have actually remained consistent. And at the core of what I do, it's trying to help athletes make prudent financial decisions assist them in evaluating opportunities and expectations. So while everyone is telling my clients that they should buy this house, buy this car, buy this jewelry, invest in this can't miss opportunity, etc., I try and get my clients to slow down, step back and give thoughtful consideration to how this affects any of their financial related decisions. And with that in mind, I still always try to help my clients evaluate first if an opportunity is objectively good. If so, does it fit into their overall financial situation, both in terms of risk profile and timing? And then how does it fit into their long-term planning? Um, and so I think going from that segue to some of your specific questions, I'd say that there's probably four key areas that have really evolved over the years. Um, and I'll kind of tell you what I think they are, and then I can elaborate a little bit on each. But I think the first one is athletes taking greater control of and maximizing their celebrity status. The okay. second one would be the, the evolution of endorsement deals. The third would be the rise of technology and social media. And the fourth would be the growing interest in venture investing, right? Um, and there's certainly overlap between these areas, but each one can also be kind of looked at individually. So let me elaborate a little for you. Um, for example, let, let's look at athletes taking control of their own celebrity. And while he isn't a client of mine, I think LeBron James is the prime example to look at and talk about because it's really interesting. Um, yeah. Obviously, LeBron is 
Unip regarded as one of the best basketball players of all time. And when he became a pro athlete, he started out with the NBA contract and several of the standard marketing endorsement type deals. Um, But over time, he's parlayed his basketball talent and success into a business empire with many different components, right, where he works with uh, an incredible variety of companies and business moguls. So he has the leverage now to opt into business partnerships where he gets equity in deals and with the companies he works with. So. You know, by taking an ownership interest, for example, in in Beats by Dre, he ended up earning, you know, $30 million when Beats was sold to Apple. And there there have been other ways where he's grown his empire as well. So the media empire, Spring Hill Entertainment, uh, other business interests like Blaze Pizza and ownership of the Liverpool soccer team, which I'm sure is close to home for you. um, You know, that's a way where this athlete has, has really been able to utilize his his celebrity to grow his status. It's actually good timing. I I literally this morning finished reading uh, a new book by Brian Windhorst called LeBron Inc., which is both a fascinating and timely case study on the business of LeBron. So I'd recommend that to you and all your readers out there. Perfect. We're going to have that in the show notes. So make sure um, you tune in. Uh, Thank you for the recommendation, Justin. Yeah. I feel like class is in session. I got my notebook as you, as you pointed out. (laughs) Please, please continue. Um, I think the second one I said was the, the evolution of endorsement deals. And that, that's another area that's really undergone tremendous change. So the intersection between athletes and corporate entities has historically been focused on brand ambassadorships and traditional endorsement deals where the largest brands in sport leverage the power of individual stars to market their products. And while these traditionally transactional relationships remain fundamental to marketing strategies of a lot of brands, you're seeing an increasing number of, I guess what I would call equity-based relationships emerging over the last decade. And this is where I think there's a lot of overlap because there's several factors that contribute to that growing trend. Um, I'd say probably the strongest influencer here is the growing influence and power of the individual athlete and that can be directly tied to the rise of social media right i mean you're obviously very active i think that's how you and i originally connected in the first place and so the 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 rise of social media enables athletes to engage directly with their fans and create and market their own personal brands and so athletes are now able to leverage their following and network to provide value to companies in a way where they're able to control their own narrative and build a brand that is authentic to themselves. So um, additionally, you have access to investment opportunities. So I would say that the increased prominence of celebrity investors in the funding ecosystem, coupled with technological developments, means that athletes and entrepreneurs and founders are, are better situated to find one another, making it easier to have deals together. And, you know, you don't have to look much further than the floor seats at any Warriors home game to see a veritable who's who of tech founders and execs, along with venture capital and private equity players that are forming relationships with the players right there on the court. Um, So I I think that the growing influence through technology and access to investment uh, has yielded tremendous rise of athlete entrepreneurs, usually through the form of venture investing. Um, I think that in that world, you know, LeBron's success in Beats is a well-known example, and so was Kobe's investment of $6 million in body armor, which ended up being worth about $200 million when Coca-Cola purchased it. 
But I, I also think one really important point that cannot be overstated is that as athletes try and pursue venture investing, there are some really major caveats that have to be considered. So first, most people don't have the means to invest $6 million in a risky <laughs> illiquid deal like Kobe did. Right? Thank you. I was going to ask, how am I supposed yeah. to get in this deal? Right, exactly. And secondly, I think most people don't hear about the stories about the 99% of the other illiquid investments that become worthless, which takes us back to the earlier point, which is every situation needs to be carefully evaluated based upon not only the opportunity itself, but how that opportunity fits specifically into the client's risk profile and timeline. And in some ways, while it's great that athletes are out there talking about venture investing and, and you know, really um, on the forefront of discussing it over social media, people have to consider the fact that it's not as easy as people think. It's really hard work and it's not for everybody. No, that's, uh, you brought up four great points. Uh, I want to touch on uh, what you said about the risk aversion. You know, Kobe Bryant was able to invest $6 million. That's because he was willing to risk that much. He was able to lose that much. That means his net worth is so high that he's willing to do that. Whereas you said other athletes may not be capable um, in that and being able to invest that much. So they got to lower their, um, how can I say, lower their expectations if they're if they want to be in venture capital or be able to get into deal flow, that's not saying they should not invest, but they should invest based on their own personal financial playbook. And with your position as a quarterback, you're able to help them see, you know, plays ahead. Um, you know, I like to use examples, what the defense is running in this case, what the business um, deck is looking like. So uh, I really appreciate you um, sharing I, I felt like I was in a class right there. That reminded me of my uh, Columbia Venture Investment class. Uh, it harkens me back to my old sports law teaching days. So maybe it's a, it's a little bit fun to teach a little bit sometimes. Nah. So uh, before I shift gears, are you going to the Warriors game tonight? You you mentioned all these other people going, but you have season tickets. <laughs> I was at game one the other night. I am not going tonight. Oh, uh, too much flopping. You don't want to. You don't want to get home too late, huh? That's right. It's past my bedtime after 10 o'clock. <laughs> Respect. Okay. So you, you touched on how we ended up getting to know each other through social media. Obviously, I wanted to thank you. You um, were one of the first fans, I should say, or supporters of a frugal athlete and what we're trying to do in terms of financial literacy. How important do you think financial literacy is for athletes as they continue to grow in this money management space? Well, obviously, I think that financial literacy is extremely important, not only for athletes, frankly, but for people generally. I think what makes it even more important for athletes is the short time frame that, that athletes have to maximize their earning potential, right? So it's critical that athletes take an interest in their financial affairs. Um, and, you know, it's like I tell my clients or people that I'm recruiting, I say, while most athletes aren't formally trained in finance, Everybody should develop at least a basic understanding of, you know, the rudimentary thing, uh, issues related to handling money in order to succeed financially. So, again, back to one of the earlier points I made, the financial advisor's job isn't only to execute a financial plan or to make investment recommendations. But at least as far as I'm concerned in my firm, we really focus on helping educate the client about financial affairs. 
Um, and, you know, you do things like this by, by talking with them about developing a budget and asking inquisitive questions, not just telling them, here's how much you can spend, but let's talk through the different scenarios. And let's also look at some longer term goals. What are your long term goals? How do we get you there? And how do you put yourself in a position financially that will enable you to live again, that that sustainable life? So, you know, I'd say the most important thing is taking an interest early on so that the clients or the, the athletes financial education is growing with his or her portfolio. No, that's a great, uh, that's a great answer. Um, but like you said, you know, athletes career is only so long. How do you combat that competitive mindset of, you know, an athlete wanting everything now? Like I want to be the star now. I want to be able to, you know, reach my bonuses now, but getting them to be patient and understand terms like compound interest, investing, saving for the long term. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And honestly, that is one that's much easier said than done. Um, as you know, athletes are very competitive by nature. They love to win and they often feel an air of invincibility, which frankly contributes to their success on the field a lot of the time. But when it comes to investing and attaining long-term financial security, I remind my clients that it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? And, mm -hmm. and so from the beginning, as a starting point, I encourage my clients to think about wealth accumulation like a pyramid. And I explain that the reason that the pyramids in Egypt have survived for so long is because they're built upon a solid foundation. And using that analogy, I'd say that an athlete's finances also need to be built upon a solid foundation where you start with sufficient cash reserves and fixed income and blue chip stocks and things that may not be as exciting or sexy, but are critical to building that foundation. And, you know, while private equity and venture capital and other types of investment may sound more exciting, I encourage clients to avoid taking that unnecessary risk. And then if they have a solid foundation from slow and steady methodical approach, there will likely be time for those other opportunities later in reasonable amounts when they can figure out how much risk is appropriate to them. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I mean, so take it like the NFL draft just happened, you know, overnight millionaires. So what, what are like three principles you would make sure those athletes would understand in terms of money management? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think, I, I guess a couple of principles that I come back to just from all my years of doing this, I, I would like to tell guys that, you know, you can live like a king for a couple of years or a prince forever. And athletes kind of need to be aware of the lure of the tangible or the keeping up with the Joneses mentality because they face tremendous pressure, both from outsiders who expect them to live these ostentatious styles, but also from, you know, internal factors and competition amongst their own peers. So using your football draft pick as an example, it's a great one. Even if you're earning a million dollars this season, which is unquestionably a lot of money, the teammate dressing in the locker next to you might have another zero after his salary and he's making 10 million. And so the pressure felt in the locker room and from other external forces can be intense. Um, and so it's important for athletes early on to avoid overspending. And again, that ties back into establishing a reasonable budget, uh, learning to live a comfortable but sustainable lifestyle, all while staying within their means and that way they can live like a prince forever. And princes live pretty well. Um, so just yeah, because you make true. more money. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, so I tell guys, just because you make more money doesn't mean you have to spend more money. Um, so I think that's probably one, one point. I think another point that I would 
make that I often do with my clients is I, I always remind them that money talks, but real wealth whispers. And by that, what I mean is that some successful athletes feel like they've really made it when they can afford to do or buy certain things, right? And so the phrase money talks is usually taken by people with money to that they can do certain things. And to some people, posting selfies on Instagram of jewelry and expensive cars and private jets is how they try to measure wealth or try to prove to others just how wealthy they are. Um, in contrast, the phrase wealth whispers essentially means that people that have true, tremendous wealth are so confident in their situations that they don't need to show it off or try and prove anything to anyone. So if you look at guys like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, two of the most successful business people of our lifetime, one common trait that you'll notice is that these people, despite their tremendous wealth, remain frugal and don't feel the need to flaunt their wealth. And, you know, they've got mm -hmm. everything they need. They want for nothing, but they can, you know, make generous donations, oftentimes anonymously, and find ways to help and improve society, not because wealthy they are, but because they can and because they want to make a difference. So I think, you know, keeping it all in perspective is kind of another point that I would make. And then I guess a third one you hit on, it's so all elaborate, is um, I often like to teach clients about the miracle of compounding interest. And I think that's one of the most important concepts to understand if you want to succeed in investing, right? So compounding mm -hmm. is the process where the value of an investment increases exponentially because the earnings on that investment can be reinvested over time. And it's a really simple concept. It really only requires two things, that you reinvest earnings and that you have time. And so it's, it's very simple, right? I'll use an example. If you have $100 to put into a bank account or to invest and you earn 5% interest in year one, at the end of the year, you have $105. Well, that's where compounding starts to come in. So the next year, your $105 starts earning interest. And now you earn that same 5% on the first $100 plus additional interest on the $5 gain. And over time, you've got more money um, invested and growing in your account, even though you didn't have to contribute any more money. So the longer you let your money work for you, the larger your original amount becomes. It's a really simple concept, but one that is often overlooked. No, that's great. That's, uh, it, it's like you said, sometimes the hardest things to do are, are the, the most simple. Um, something my dad likes to say is, um, once your career starts, you're closer to the end of your career than the beginning of it. So these gentlemen that just got drafted, they're actually closer to the end of their career than the beginning of it. So can you speak to the, any observations you see with players in terms of transitioning into retirement, whether it's, um, you know, voluntarily or involuntarily, and maybe some of the challenges that they encounter? Yeah, you know, I think this is an area that historically the – players associations have probably not done as good a job preparing their constituents for what happens when the playing career ends as they could have. And I, I know for sure that these days there's a lot bigger focus um, by the leagues and the associations. Uh, I, I know I speak often with one of the people that's running the program at the NBPA where they're really trying to help prepare players for retirement. But I, I think your dad's right. You know, many athletes struggle with the transition to retirement. It usually comes earlier than anticipated. And this challenge can be both financial and emotional. And it's completely understandable, right? I mean, after all, anyone fortunate enough to become a professional athlete has probably dedicated most of her life up until that. 
So whether whether the struggle at retirement is financially based, meaning you know, no more paychecks and the need to scale back your lifestyle, or more personal in nature, like losing one's sense of identity or missing the camaraderie, the best way to transition into retirement is to prepare yourself in advance. So I think athletes shouldn't be trying to figure out how to replace the huge paychecks when retirement comes, but rather they early on in their careers, A, to, to set aside for retirement financially, but also to figure out what their, where their passions lie and spend their playing years trying to figure out how to pursue those endeavors so by the time retirement comes around, they're in a better position to transition. So take advantage of opportunities that you have during your playing careers, uh, grow your network, take advantage of internships and job shadow programs, um, and, and really just figure out where your interest lies so that by the time it comes to retirement, the transition is a bit easier. And at the end of the day, if you have your financial house in order, then your next job shouldn't be one that you take because you need a paycheck. It's because you love it, which is a huge message. No, that makes perfect sense. I think it, it touches on what you said earlier about uh, the, the, the power of social media, the power of your network, the power of your athlete advantage. There's so many resources available to you, whether the leagues provide them or whether you go out and do it on your own. Um, so it's important to kind of take control of not only your money management, but your career as well. Because like, like you just said, you don't know how long it's going to last. And look, you, you've been very kind to give me so many compliments during this conversation. But the fact is, I think you've been a great example about how people can do this. I know that, you know, you, you played professionally for a lot of years. You, you were trying to figure out what to do before the career ended. And you're still now playing. But there was a while where you were unsure the direction your career was going. And, you know, every time I talk to you, you're off to a new seminar or a new special um, internship program or class. And you're, you're always out there networking. And I think you've been a really good role model to show people, specifically athletes, um, you know, how to go about it while they're still active. Because you've got doors open to you today that may not be there in five years. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, that's how we first met, you know, just, you yep. know, just contact. Now I'm able to get you on the podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know you're busy traveling, uh, helping many athletes and other individuals uh, stay sane uh, with the money management. But um, I'm going to let you go. But with, in closing, I want to ask three questions. Where can we find you? You're on LinkedIn, but um, where can we find you? Sure. My company's website, again, the company is called True Capital Management. So the company website is uh, www.truecapitalmgmt.com. And my Twitter handle is at Justin underscore H underscore Bass. Um, so I can be found on there and on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. Yeah, this will all be on the show notes. Uh, I suggest you follow Justin. He's always giving good tidbits and on uh, the platforms about different things that happen with money management, especially from the sports perspective. Um, I, I, I follow him. I make sure I get some tidbits from my new weekly newsletters. Shameless plug there. <laughs> but all right. What does it mean to be a frugal athlete, in your opinion? Well, it's funny because the word frugal often has a negative connotation associated with it. And oftentimes people True. identify frugal with being cheap. Um, and, but to me, I prefer to think of it actually as being fiscally responsible. So it doesn't mean that you don't allow your to spend any money, but rather it means that you do so upon 
you know, careful consideration of what it means to your overall financial picture. And I, I like to talk to clients about distinguishing the difference between needs and wants. And while there might be, you know, more time pressure to address the needs, it doesn't mean that you have to entirely ignore the wants, but we need to work together to come up with a game plan to help us figure out what wants are realistic and within what time frame. And, you know, as goal-oriented people by nature, I think that athletes respond well to having a clearly articulated game plan as it enables them to work together to, to uh, you know, us to work together to regularly monitor and track their progress. And, you know, just speaking from recent experience, I've, I know one of my clients felt great when he was able to purchase the dream house for his parents that we had been talking about for four years. Um, but it wasn't until his financial foundation was well-established that he could actually make that dream a reality. And now I know that he's really excited and they're really excited about it. Oh, that's amazing. Cause even just looking at the draft, you know, it was like, what do you get? What's the first thing you're going to do? Oh, I'm going to buy my mom a house. The fact that, you know, he had the foresight to wait four years. That's what it's all about. You know, being a football athlete, he made an efficient economical decision. Okay. You know, it's April 30th, April's financial literacy month. So can you leave us with one term we can walk away with from your financial expertise? Sure. Um, I think one that comes to mind kind of off the top would be burn rate, because a lot of people don't know what a burn rate is or understand it. But a burn rate typically refers to how much money a startup burns through in a month. And the burn rate, <laughs> lets the company, it, it lets the company calculate how much time it has before, frankly, it runs out of money or needs to raise more money. And so individuals have burn rates, too. And in this context, I would define a burn rate as how quickly you burn through your money in you know, a week or a month or any given period of time. But basically, it's how long does your money last um, as soon as you receive your paycheck or looking over a long period of time? How long will your money last before you deplete your assets? Um, and this, this is something that, again, I encourage clients to think about early on because unless you talk about their long-term goals and establish their long-term spending and savings habits – um, it's very easy for them to spend a lot while they're making a lot, but then they have a really hard time sustaining that upon retirement. So really knowing your burn rate, understanding it, and, and focusing on how to work to put you in a position to be financially secure long term. It's, it's an important process. Wow. Thank you so much. Class is over, gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Justin gave us some gems. Um, really appreciate you for your time. Um, Definitely connect soon. But with that being said, I'll let you go. Thanks for the time.